Welcome to Just Crypto. My name is Vanessa and we're going to dive into Phantom. We're going to learn all about what is Phantom, uh, what the Phantom team is doing. It's one of those blockchains that I haven't personally dug into a lot, so I'm looking forward to, to learning through this experience. Uh, we do have with us uh, today uh, an, an amazing guest. I'd like to welcome Juan. Uh, one is a passionate about crypto, digital sovereignty, uh, and the intersection of technology and economics, kind of where we are in the crypto world. Uh, he's currently the head of marketing for Phantom, uh, which is a layer one EVM compatible blockchain. One, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Vanessa. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, like I said before we started recording, I've read a lot of the content you've put out, so I'm excited to learn a little bit more, especially as uh, it relates to some ideas around governance, which I'm sure we'll dig into. Awesome. Awesome. You know, d definitely happy to, to have that conversation. Uh, you know, since we are talking about crypto, we have to do uh, the, the thing that, that everyone has to do, which is to say, hey, none of this is financial advice. We're on YouTube. Don't take this as financial advice. Please don't make investment decisions. Just enjoy yourself. Uh, you know, learn a little, little bit. Uh, otherwise, you will get wrecked if you try to take financial advice from us. Um, you know, the, the other thing I also want to highlight here is that on the show, uh, we like to really um, bring the creators, the artists, and the builders from within the crypto community and highlight them and give them an opportunity to present their humanity uh, before all of us and, and to learn a bit more. So in that spirit, uh, Juan, I'd love to, to start with, like, how did you get involved in crypto? Like, what did your journey, your personal journey look like? Sure. Happy to answer that. So uh, I think uh, a lot of people kind of have a similar journey at the beginning and then it, it forks out. So uh, <laughs> be before I got into crypto, I was working uh, in, in software as a service, so in the SaaS industry. Um, you know, selling to different companies, a lot of uh, marketing technology type stuff. Um, and then a friend one day told me, hey, you got to read this book. It's probably not a surprise called uh, The Bitcoin Standard. So that's where ah, I started. Classic. With uh, Safety and Amos. And uh, that, so that, that kind of intrigued me. At the same time as that happened, I bought Bitcoin and, and Doge and all this sort of stuff on, uh, I can't even remember, probably Robin Hood or something like that. And, and to be honest, I, I probably did both things in parallel on one hand, being philosophically interested in in Bitcoin and, and uh, digital currencies. And on the other hand, just thinking this sounds kind of cool, the number goes up. Uh, as it turns out, the number the number doesn't always go up, but uh, you know, there was a, a small hiatus there uh, between that, that first introduction to it and exposure to it uh, and, and the lull. And then I came back and started getting involved in, in DeFi projects, kind of getting uh, more hands-on uh, using these ecosystems myself. Um, and to, to summarize the story and make, make it a little shorter, I ended up working at the Phantom Foundation after getting my feet wet, and uh, that's that's where I am today. Did you do a tour of uh, kind of Ethereum DeFi degening before Phantom, or was it straight from the pristine sound money of Bitcoin? Into no, no, no. I, I went through. Uh, I like to call myself a, a uh, reformed re uh, degen. So uh, I, I, I did. <laughs> I did go through all of that, and uh, actually, I mean, it, it ties into part of the reason that I was initially attracted to Phantom. I wasn't uh, what you would call a whale by any means, and the gas fees were really eaten into me. Uh, and I think I can't even remember how I how I came across it, but I just saw, oh, I can do some of the same things. Didn't even really fully understand what it was that I was doing, other than that I was doing it. But I can do it for a lot cheaper and in a way where it's not going to be ten percent of my total portfolio every time I do a swap, right? Uh, and that's how I, I came across Phantom for the first time, and then I just got sucked into the ecosystem, I think, like most people. I think you were fortunate to come across Phantom. Uh, I, I had the same experience and came across Luna. <laughs> and, you know, we, we know what happened there. Um, so, you know, as far as, as, as Phantom, tell people a little bit about uh, kind of your role at, at Phantom and kind of what, what, what you do. And then we can dive into a bit more about the specifics of Phantom, the blockchain. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think the first thing to consider when you're looking at, at the Phantom Foundation is it is a very 
uh, grassroots, non-hierarchical team. That doesn't mean we have no structure whatsoever, but it means everybody does wear quite a lot of hats. Um, so what I do in my role is a combination of things like this, you know, go, go and speak to people, whether that's at conferences, events, on podcasts to evangelize what it is that Phantom is building, as well as coordinating internally with uh, the, the marketing and business development and partnerships teams as to how we can expand it and grow our presence in the space. And that's everything from blog posts to our own podcast called Vertical Blocks to, um, you know, in-person conferences and events. So it, it is quite of a, a lot of different things. Awesome. Yeah. You know, after the show, we can collect all the links and I'll make sure that if people are watching it afterwards, it'll be down in the description. So if you are watching after, take a look in the description, you'll, you'll see some of the links. Uh, you'll see a link to the Phantom Foundation as well as to uh, Juan and to be able to follow him. Um, so let's start. What is Phantom? Um, you know, there's lots of blockchains. Uh, what is Phantom? Why is it special? So, yes, there are a lot of blockchains and especially there are a lot of EVM compatible blockchains. So let's take it from a more practical approach and less of a technical approach and, and talk about what Phantom is. Phantom's a layer one blockchain, meaning it has its own set of validators from which it derives its own security. Uh, and what that offers for builders, who are your, our, our main target audience here, is it offers um, out of the box solutions for everything from funding to security. So we can go into what, what some of these sort of more regenerative funding mechanisms are, because I think they differ quite a lot. Um, but then also on the security front, we have something called DDoB's Watchdog Smart Contract Analyzer, which is a real-time smart contract auditing system that offers out-of-the-box uh, tools for any dev that wants to get started. So, um, you know, we can go into this, some of the te more technical aspects as well, but from a more holistic, uh, high-level overview, that's what Phantom is. It's, an, it's a way where developers can come and build what they want to build without all the overhead, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, roadblocks or uh, expenses that might come with launching on another blockchain. And if you were to say, you know, in, in comparison to, you know, Ethereum, which I think most people are familiar with, uh, you know, what, are, what are some of the, the points that you point to for Phantom and say, okay, here's three or four reasons why, you know, maybe right now the, the liquidity and the community is larger on Ethereum, uh, but here's why you should consider Phantom. So, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's this narrative of, uh, Ethereum, Ethereum is too expensive and the gas fees are too much. And that, that worked in maybe like 2018, 2019, um, as we were talking just in the beginning. But now it's become very commoditized. So just to say you're very fast or you're uh, very cheap, is the it, it's just like it's a race to the bottom, right? Um, so yes, does Phantom offer that? Absolutely. And you know it depends on where the users are, the end users that are actually using the application. Because for some people, a difference of 10 cents can in fact make a difference. Whereas maybe for somebody in the West, that's uh, you know, a negligible amount to consider when making a swap. Um, but when we're thinking about what, what Phantom offers, you have the opportunity to get in off the ground and build on top of many other applications that already exist. So it has the same composability and interoperability that a layer one like Ethereum does. Um, but where we're going in the long term is we're not scaling through layer two solutions, right? Which is kind of how Ethereum is looking at the roadmap. They're saying we're going to offset a lot of this computational load to these layer twos, which then each, you know, have their own different ways of uh, dealing with security, of dealing with, uh, you know, whatever role of implementation they might have. Um, but what Phantom's looking at is just actually replacing the, the Ethereum virtual machine with the Phantom virtual machine, which will still be EVM compatible. But what it should allow for in the long run is that as transaction uh, fees and, and transaction activity takes place on the network, all these different applications can build on top of each other and leverage that closely and interoperability, like I said, without having to think about, okay, what happens when I get too big? Will I have to deploy to a different mm. uh, subnet? Will I have to deploy to a layer two? Am I going to have to go elsewhere and become a blockchain operator myself? Um, we're kind of thinking about, okay, if you start building on Phantom today, how can we ensure that even if you start small and grow really big, 
you're not going to have to sort of pick up and, you know, re-implement and reinstate everything you've already done. Um, I, I think that's that's a really interesting value prop as we're starting to see now, you know, on, on Ethereum, people obviously moving to L2s and you've got, you know, Uniswap moving to Arbitrum and having multiple uh, outposts, as it were. And then the whole Cosmos thesis of app chains, uh, maybe you're alluding to like running your own chain. Uh, it's a thing that, that you would do in, in Cosmos. And so that's a differentiator you bring. Just as far as some of those raw numbers and, and you know, TPS, finality, et cetera, et cetera. Can you share what those are for Phantom? Yeah, let me, um, so there was a, a great article that we just put out on TPS versus TTS I'd like to find out. Um, but just while I'm looking for this, I'll say that the difference when we're looking at our speed and our finality is first, um, Phantom has instant finality, right? Which means that there's no possible block reorgs. That's a big thing for developers. If you've, if you've seen lately, there's a lot of blockchains that are having problems with reorgs that are several, sometimes hundreds of blocks deep. Uh, Phantom does have instant finality, which means once a transaction is seen by the network, it's null and there's no reorg. It, it's not this, this longest, longest blockchain rule where you could go back and say 20 blocks later, 10 blocks later, whatever it is, we're actually going to reorganize what transactions took place versus which ones didn't. Um, I'll say it for you. Uh, yeah. poly Polygon and all the reorganizations that happen. <laughs> so you don't have to be uh, talking about your competitors. This is, I think, the article that you were referring to. Yes, you actually found studio. it. Uh, found it uh, quicker than I did as I was getting carried away talking. But um, uh, as you scroll through it, you know, when we measure a speed, we measure it as time to finality, meaning how quickly it becomes final and can never be, let's just simplify it, written over again, right? Whereas, uh, you know, some other blockchains may measure, measure their speed as uh, transactions per second, which really means how quickly are the transactions taking place, but not how quickly do they become final? Because it could be that you think a transaction is final and it's not until later on that you realize it was not in fact final and that causes a lot of problems. As you may have seen, uh, Uniswap's uh, founder, Hayden Adams, recently had a post about it saying, uh, you know, we've, we've had these issues with, with block reorgs and transactions essentially not being finalized, which causes problems for everybody from developers to, to the end users. Um, so, so that's kind of what we're looking at there. There was some other concept that you alluded to, which I think has also gone by the name of probabilistic finality. Can you talk a bit about that and, you know, which blockchains use that and, and why that's also an issue, um, even though people may, you know, tend to trust those blockchains very, very much? Yeah. So, I mean, without without um, naming specific alternatives, uh, Phantom has what's called asynchronous, asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance. And I don't know if this is, you know, more more technical than you usually get when you're having your podcast hosts. Um, but essentially what it means to, to not go too deep in the weeds is that uh, it's called lachesis, that's our consensus mechanism. And this is what really powers the, the consensus of Phantom, how you come to agreement on when a transaction is, is final. So if you're looking at prob probabilistic, like you just mentioned, you're looking at, uh, for example, um, a block taking place, and then 10 blocks later, a, a new longer chain appearing, and that chain becoming the true, the true new chain that we're looking at, right? With Phantom, where we have true finality, deterministic finality, as soon as that transaction is seen, it is considered final by the network. And there's there's just absolutely no possibility for it to be overridden later on because it's 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 let's call it written into stone at that point. So that's the difference between probabilistic versus uh, true true finality. Yeah, and if you've ever waited and it's, it's looking for you know a certain number of confirmations, a certain number of block confirmations, uh, you know I think you know Bitcoin is is one that has probabilistic finality. Uh, that's that's a place where. Uh, you can you can kind of benefit, right? Because you can uh, have that final transaction and then go and take those funds immediately after it's final and do something else with it. You don't have to to wait to be concerned that it could be someone attacking uh, the, the the network and getting you to uh, spend something that isn't there. 
I mean, what I'll also say is uh, to give a metaphor so it's easier to visualize or conceptualize when you're looking at sort of um, probabilistic block by block blockchains, uh, it's almost like you're waiting at a train at a train station at the terminal and one train comes by. And if there's enough space and you can pay enough to get in it, then you get in it. Right. But then that train takes off and you wait for the next one. Whereas if you're thinking about Phantom, the way you can think about it is at all times, 24 seven, there's a train ready to take you there to your next stop if, if, if you want to get on board, right? Um, so that's that's another difference as well when we're thinking about what, what does that mean for the end user beyond just thinking about these theoretic, like, well, what these theoretical, like what happens if there's an attack later and there's a longest chain and then my funds get stolen? But, you know, those are all things to consider, but it's also the end user's ability to know in a sub-second, which is the average uh, transaction time for deterministic finality, in less than a second, is my transaction final? I can move on with my day and my life. Or do I need to sit around, you know, 15 minutes just to be sure? Or in the case of something like a Bitcoin, if you're making a larger payment, I think, what is it, six, uh, 10 blocks, six blocks? I can't remember. Um, but, you know, you wait around a much longer time, especially if it's a larger transaction. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I did want to just uh, pause quickly and, and say hi to everyone in chat. Um, Accelerate Profits, happy Friday. Uh, yes, uh, luck of the Irish to you as well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you are here and you're watching along live, uh, just drop a hi in chat. Always love to know who's here. And if you know, do you have any questions for Juan or any questions about Phantom, um, you know, this is a good place to ask, good time to ask. Um, so I did want to uh, pause a little bit and talk about the finality time, because I think as we look at, you know, fast finality chains, you've got Cosmos, which is coming in, you know, just around six seconds. Some of the, the L1s and Cosmos coming in around two seconds. Uh, why is it important to get faster than that? Like, is there any difference between a sub-second finality time and a six-second finality time in terms of end-user applications that people could could do? I'd say absolutely. Let me, uh, can I post something in the public chat here? Um, just so you can pull it up. Oh, I guess I can't. Uh, yeah, if you post it in the private chat, then I, I can, I can pull chat. it up, okay. yeah. Um, so as you, as you think about, okay, where blockchain is gonna go, like what happens when we onboard the first, you know, 10 million users and 100 million users, it's gonna be a very different situation from what happens when we have this kind of a small self-reflexive ecosystem of, of crypto users today, right? What happens when um, we really need to scale and we need to scale while remaining single state, a single chain that doesn't have rollups or layer twos or anything like that. Then it makes quite a big difference how many transactions you can process per second and make them final and deterministic versus um, kind of like leaving that for later. So this is going back to that uh, initial more technical explanation we we're talking about with the Phantom Virtual Machine, where you know we found that the EVM causes about 90% of the of the chain slowdown. That's not a very good way of articulating it that, that we've seen. Uh, and replacing that with the Phantom Virtual Machine, which we tested on the first 40 million blocks of real mainnet uh, data, makes, uh, I think, like an 8x difference. If you scroll down uh, towards the bottom, yeah, that's what we're seeing. Uh, 8.1 times faster than using the Ethereum Virtual Machine with 98% less storage, um, which may talk, you know, may, may also address some of these uh, other things we're going to talk about later, such as the costs of running a validator node, even just the hardware costs themselves, right? Um, so these things are all kind of just like the chain itself. They're, they're kind of composable and, and interoperate with each other and play with each other to generate this kind of new ecosystem that we're looking at. Yeah. So one thing I am curious about, so, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, well, this sounds a, a little bit like Solana, right? Solana's got, you know, high TPS. Um, they've got fast finality. 
Um, but the, one of the challenges with them, as you pointed out, is that it's, it's very expensive to run a validator. Mm. Uh, validators don't store uh, the entire blockchain. In fact, the, the blockchain used to be offloaded to Arweave, and now it's offloaded to, I think, Google. So that's mm. very decentralized, much while. Um, how does Phantom tackle that in terms of requirements for validators, requirements to run a full node? Can you run a full node? Where does it all live if you've got high TPS? Yeah, so, um, well, hi TTF, going back to, to our TTF. initial, <laughs> just to, to be very nuanced there. Um, so let me share something else with you. Uh, this is a interesting post. Uh, I was talking to uh, Professor Bernard Schultz. Uh, he is commonly referred to within academic circles as the father of the virtual machine. He's a professor of university at the University of Sydney in Australia, and he is the head of the Phantom uh, virtual machine right now. Um, he's leading a whole team of uh, engineers and researchers that are working on this. Um, I wanted to share this with you here. I'm going to post this uh, with you in the private chat, and then you can post this to the main chat. Um, the architecture, the architecture that you're referring to, we're, we're actually planning on um, on releasing a, lo a longer, more detailed article, like addressing the exact points that you've just made. Um, but for those who are way more technical than I am, maybe this is uh, you, Vanessa. This should provide some sort of explanation. This is literally quoted from Fr Professor Bernard Schultz as to how it is that we're actually uh, compressing and storing and storing all this um, blockchain data to reduce the, the storage requirements by 98%. Um, because I know that this is actually something that's come time, come time and time again from more technical minded people. Uh, and we are gonna come out with something that should address these concerns specifically. Hopefully that'll be, uh, well, next week at this point, but uh, maybe we can follow up and put that, that in the links as well. Yeah, no, that, that'd be great. And I think it's, yeah. a, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes uh, we have this this waterfall that goes from, a, you know, research where uh, they're deep into the cryptographic methods and they're, they're looking at all kind of, you know, Merkle trees or whatever else that they're doing and being able to explain that in a way that regular folks can understand, oh, this is why it still preserves all the aspects of inclusive accountability. Anyone can run a full mm -hmm. node and still, you know, uh, uh, allow that high... Um, TTF <laughs> for, for us to go. Uh, I am going to shout out quickly to Cosmos Joe. Uh, great to have you here. Um, uh, great to have you uh, learning about Phantom as well. Um, and Prospector, good morning. Uh, welcome to the show. It's uh, it's cool that people from from the Cosmos ecosystem are learning about Phantom because I've been learning about Cosmos a little bit myself. We recently did a, a Twitter Spaces with Osmosis um, because now Osmosis has incentivized liquidity for FTM Osmo. Uh, and, you know, moving from... Uh, Phantom to the Cosmos ecosystem and back with the Axelor bridge is, is now a pretty cool thing that you can do. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how uh, all these blockchains, including Phantom, can both compete and collaborate at the same time in different ways and, and kind of see how the different theses play out, right? The app chain versus single state chain thesis in this case. Yeah, 100%. And, and I just love, uh, like the idea that there is this collaboration. Um, and is, especially if you've used anything in the Cosmos like Cosmosis, very, very smooth, very fast, like none of the Ethereum uh, detritus that we're, we're used to. And so I think there's, a, there's kind of a good opportunity to collaborate there. Um, so you, what else uh, would you like to kind of point to as far as things that set Phantom apart? I think we've, we, we've talked a little bit about the, the TTF. Um, we haven't talked about transaction fees uh, at all, so I'm wondering if we could touch on that for a second. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if there's anybody in the in the chat or watching that has used Phantom, uh, please let us know that the cost of your last transaction fee. But uh, you know, excluding gas spikes, which is something that is also being worked on with with all these new rollouts and implementations, um, the average transaction fee is you know a fraction of a penny. You know, I'm talking like a hundredth of a penny, sometimes less, a thousandth of a penny. 
And even when you're looking at some of the, these layer twos, especially if you're uh, thinking about uh, markets in Southeast Asia, Africa, LATAM, 10 cents makes a huge difference, right? If we're especially thinking yeah. about peer-to-peer payments, stuff like that, um, that's when it becomes less commoditized and more important again, where maybe for somebody in the West, in the US and Europe, whatever, it's like, okay, the difference between a dollar or 17 cents or one cent, what difference is it gonna make if my swap is $10,000 anyway? But for somebody that's swapping 50 cents, you know, where the, the, the monthly average income is under $100, that's a lot, that's a, that's a large chunk. It's almost like going back to the beginning of the conversation, when I was a minnow on Ethereum, you know, I couldn't use it because the gas fees where for some whales may have been inconsequential for me were so much it made it, uh, you know, it discouraged me or deterred me uh, as a rational economic actor from using the network. So um, that's where the, the, the transaction fees, I think, will, will really make a difference, especially as the network continues to grow, as more transactions take place, we can scale the volume and at volume still generate fees for the, re- for, for the validators, right? Yeah, um, and I think, yeah. you know, as you, you talk about volume as well, that, that's another aspect where low fees come into play. So maybe 10 cents isn't a big deal, but if I want to do 100 transactions and there are use cases, you know, D, where, G, DGens, uh, where you want to do 100 transactions, suddenly it starts to become like, oh, that's a meaningful amount of money if I'm doing that every day, every week. And not, not to mention, you know, I think um, like if you look at uh, there's uh, explore.phantom.network. I feel like I'm sending you so many links, but I'll send this in case anybody wants to explore this. Um this shows you the average, uh, the daily transactions, daily blocks, all that sort of thing. So for today, for example, we're at about 253,000 transactions. And, you know, if I had to guess, that's not all people. Some of that is bots that are doing arbitrage, stuff like that. And so people sometimes I see say, say like, oh, you know, uh, it's, it's just a bunch of uh, bots. But as, as far as I'm concerned, if the bots are paying for gas uh, for block space, then they find it economically valuable enough. They're willing to exchange the gas fees for it. And usually they're doing um, some sort of arbitrage, like I said, where this provides the, an incentive to um, to really keep the ecosystem healthy by arbitraging prices where there's, there's discrepancies around the network as such because they can do it on a second by second or block by block basis. Now, there is something that uh, Solana does where they actually include the uh, the, the communications between validators uh, within their protocol. So they count that as uh, transactions, even though it's not really real transactions at all. Does, does yes. Phantom do the same or do you have kind of off-chain ways of... Uh, I, would have to, I would have to check if they're in this Explorer visualization I just sent you, but my I'm just going to say my guess is no, because that's not something I've ever heard of. Um, but I mean, we can come back to that and, and double check. I just don't want to give an answer that's false. Yeah, no, that, that, that's yeah. fair. Just as we're looking at high numbers, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always cautious because we had someone earlier talking about Solana and and this was one thing that came up. I'm like, oh, you know, you might not realize that 90% of the transactions aren't real transactions. They're, they're just to keep the network going. Yeah, well, one thing I, I do want to share, I just also sent it in a private chat. Like I said, I'll just be streaming these to you is let's go into, uh, you know, beyond the technical aspects of fast speeds, low fees, like how is phantom encouraging long-term adoption one of the things we often get is is when marketing so in the in the heights of of, of, bull, of the bull for uh bull run and euphoria and all those sorts of things it was like why aren't you you know sponsoring a wwe wrestler and buying like a football stadium and doing all these sorts of things and the truth is we've we've been very conservative with our treasury so right now we're sitting in a position where we have about 45 years of runway um these are diversified across various different uh assets in the treasury so some in Phantom, some in USD in different banks, some in um, real estate assets. So it, it is quite a diversified treasury. And the way we're looking at it is we want to incentivize 
uh, viral word of mouth, grassroots growth and marketing. So we don't want to acquire users. We're not even targeting end users, right? We're targeting developers. Like that's the marketing team at Phantom's main audience. And the only audience really that we're concerned with is getting developers to launch and, and implement uh, their applications on Phantom, right? Um, so what that means is not necessarily doing a lot of flashy things and throwing a lot of money on concerts and conferences and superstars. Um, it's much more around making sure that the research and the development can continue to take place well into the future and getting some of the best uh, academics um, and engineers to work on it while also getting developers to do this. And so the incentives here are, yeah, sure. You know, there's a lot of blockchains that might take whether it's VC money or some other money, it works just like everything else where it trickles top down. And then once the, once that pool is dry, everyone goes to the next one. And it's like, I like to call it like the, the locust cycle, right? Eat, like eating the crops, leaving nothing before the soil is barren and you go to the next. Well, with Phantom, you know, we've, we, we did try at the beginning, this sort of uh, targeted grants program where different teams could apply for a specific grant and Phantom would say, you know, a million here, a million there. And what we found out was that simply did not work. Uh, like we, we, mm. we, we didn't have a high enough hit rate where the winners made up for the losers. And we also discouraged a lot of smaller teams from wanting to apply um, their talent and their time to the Phantom ecosystem. So what we've done instead is like that um, link I just sent you and there's, there's a couple others. What we've done is we've decided to move towards a more decentralized governance process. This is the ecosystem vault. So 10% uh, of all transactions paid to the network uh, go to this vault. And we're currently in the process of uh, and I, this is where I wanted to get your, your advice, uh, currently in the process of setting up a, a council type governance mechanism where at the moment the team's working on it, but the sort of rough draft is that there would be seven, seven council members, uh, you know, on-chain governance dictating who gets chosen to be part of that council. And these council members will be able to look at different proposals that come in through the proposal for this and then have this, these, these funds get stream, streamed to them in real time uh, using Llama Pay. Um, and what I want to highlight about all these incentive mechanisms that Phantom is using is that, first off, they're not, uh, you know, hyperinflationary. Phantom's inflating at 1.87% this year, mm. um, and that will be for the next eight years or so. Um, and then while it's doing that, it's generating the majority of the fees that go back into the networks and creates, create these incentive, incentive funds through actual revenue that the network is generating. So mm. whether it's this or whether it's gas monetization, which we recently made an announcement about, I can share that as well. Um, what we're looking at is with gas monetization, 15% of all the fees that builders uh, uh, contribute to, to the network get kicked back to them, almost like a rebate or affiliate program. Uh, and before anybody says, well, what if they start, you know, uh, acting in a way that is like contrary to the interests of the users or whatever, I would just say, Users are rational economic actors. And if you have two DEXs and one of them is charging you $8 for gas, another one's charging you five cents and there's the same uh, outcome, which one do you think users are going to choose? So um, we see it to be sort of self, um, it, we'll see, we see it to be self uh, regulating in a sense. And of course, the beginning, all of these things I'm talking about and we're implementing are going to have guardrails. It would be, I think disingenuous to say all these things are fully decentralized because they're not. It's just having the right guardrails in place so that as they become more decentralized, we can make sure we're not taking leaps that then put us in a bad position. So anyway, to summarize, the incentive mechanisms are, you know, all revenue based coming from the network with the exception of Gitcoin grants, where that's coming from the treasury. That's also, of course, uh, very much bottoms up, kind of like um, leaning on the collective consciousness to make intelligent decisions and also give the long tail uh, and small applications the ability to, to build on Phantom. Uh, but yeah, it's very different from from just saying, you know, a, a thousand percent APR and everything. And then what do you think is going to happen once those rewards dry out? So 
that's kind of how we're looking at it right now with very much a, a mindset for where we're going to be in 10 years versus like how many users can we get by tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking yeah. a little bit facetiously uh, when you're, you're saying which decks a user is going to choose the $8 one or the, the five cent one. I'm going to say the $8 one that gives them $7 in an inflating token <laughs> as rewards because <laughs> this is crypto. Um, that's true. That's true. Let's talk a bit about the the uh, governance and, and, and maybe, uh, you know, I know you're going from direct on-chain governance, which is what you have there, the entire community being able to vote and looking for more of a, a council, as you mentioned. Like, what are the reasons to move to a council model over a kind of direct democracy, as it were? Well, it's actually um, the other way around. So the problem we have right now, uh, which is actually a problem we have to resolve and we're, we're thinking about it, is, uh, for example, the, the network ecosystem vault. The proposals right now when they come in, it uh, represents, uh, it requires a 55% quorum from validators, from the actual validators that are securing the network. Ah, so not, not, governance. Yes, and not the stakers imagine. themselves. So if Correct. I stake Phantom, I'm like, okay, my validator does it, I do nothing. So the thing is with the validators, say you've delegated to a validator and they vote for something. If you don't do anything, then your stake contributes towards that vote. If it's only if you vote in the other direction that it gets, that, that amount yeah. gets removed from the total vote. The problem is, um, there's just not the quorum, like the validators aren't actively participating. And honestly, in my opinion, for good reason, if you're validating, you should be focused on validating and not looking at whether this project needs, you know, a 3,000 3, FTM grant to, to build a, you know, a micro app. And so right now we don't have the, the involvement and sort of um, sh uh, turnout that we need from validators, which is why we're exploring these different mechanisms, such as um, the council uh, based governance system. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know, what you think about that or what could even be a better idea since it's not set in stone. Yeah, so I can, you know, share a little bit of my experience from Cosmos. And obviously there's a lot of discussions in the Cardano ecosystem as they're moving into their governance era as well. Um, so, you know, most chains on the Cosmos operate kind of very similar to what you described. You know, validators vote, stakers can override their vote. Uh, the quorum's a little lower than 55%. I think it's typically 40%. And um, most uh, proposals get quorum. Uh, the, the challenge there is uh, there's very much kind of a popularity contest that people go through. Um, and if you know the right validators and you you know the, know the right people within the validators, you can get stuff passed. Uh, so there have been a couple controversial proposals that have been passed. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just pick on one um, where they were paying someone, you know, some large amount of Atom to create YouTube videos uh, mm -hmm. where, you know, Cosmos has some, some great... Uh, creators already that, that have you know fairly large reach that aren't getting compensated from the treasury so there's this incentive to look at the treasury and see, say okay well maybe i can game the system so that i can get some of that treasury um and at, at the same time uh, you know the, the people who are voting as you mentioned the the validators like their job is technical very very technical they're not necessarily kind of vc funds who can evaluate the merits of a project or uh you know even go, go deep and hold the project accountable to delivering on milestones so what the uh, Kajira team has done, and if you've watched this channel for any length of time, you've, you've heard me talk ad nauseum about Kajira uh, because, I, because I love them. Um, They're they a sovereign L1 that's in the Cosmos ecosystem. And, and they're moving, they've just moved recently to a model where they said, okay, you know, a lot of stuff's going to do on-chain governance, especially, you know, a lot of the technical details and how the chain evolves. Uh, but very specifically, the grants program is going to be managed by a Senate. And the reason for that is that uh, the, the, the senators on that Senate will be charged with going deeper, having engagements with uh, the projects, helping them to succeed. Sometimes an idea needs to be refined. It's not just the first thing that comes, but you know, sharing some experience, helping to connect them with other people in the ecosystem. And so being this body that uh, looks a little bit longer term at the overall success. So I like that Phantom is kind of moving in, in that direction. Um, we'll, we'll see. I think it's too early to tell if that's 
how that's going to play out. Um, but it, it, it feels like the right thing to do. Even as we look at Cardano, they, they're thinking a lot about a multi-tiered governance system and moving some of the power away from, you know, they call validators stake pools, uh, moving it away from the stake pool operators uh, into what they call the delegation representative. So someone you delegate your vote to specifically for voting type decisions that could affect things like the treasury. And so kind of realizing there's that two tiers set of expertise within the system. It's, it's honestly fascinating. And, and the more I think about governance and think about the, the different game theoretical outcomes that could occur, the more I realize it's probably the most complicated part of running any sort of crypto ecosystem. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's why we're exploring like a very interesting experiment for us. And it's something we're going to continue doing now is, are you familiar with Gitcoin grants, Vanessa? Uh, at just a very high level. Um... Okay. So the, the, um, the, the high level overview of it is that Gitcoin grants is original Ethereum. It just launched its pilot program on, on Phantom as the first chain. And I think now they've also done it on uh, Optimism as well, um, but uh, with, with, with a different approach. With, with Phantom, what they're doing is, and what we did for our first round with them is it's called quadratic funding. So basically, if you think about some of these problems with incentives and alignment that we were just talking about, oftentimes you see this kind of like, you, you said it yesterday in a tweet that I, I found really interesting called, uh, it was like proof of stake is proof of fiat or something like that, right? Um, where, where really what you think about is like the outcomes of a lot of these networks are just dictated by who has the biggest bag. And that could just yeah. be somebody who just arrived early, got really lucky. And by the way, that's just a reminder that like whales aren't necessarily just like the geniuses of all time. Like some are and some just happen to get really lucky, right? And so um, if ecosystems end up being dictated just by the bags of whales, um, there can be problems there. And so kind of what, what Gitcoin realized early on and, and they built up all kinds of things to to make this a, a reality is that if you just align the incentives to those who have the largest positions you end up with with skewed representations of what's really best for the network because it could just be best for the few right okay. so gitcoin has quadratic uh, funding which basically means that it was a very tedious process because we don't have the native native civil detection mechanisms that they already have for for ethereum but essentially all these projects applied to the gitcoin partnership with Phantom. And there was 125,000 Phantom that the Phantom Treasury was matching to the, the grants. And so essentially what happened was, um, say you're a, a very small team and you think, hey, there's zero chance I'm ever going to get money from VCs, A, because I don't need it, and B, because that's just the wrong fit. But maybe I want to build you know, a very simple, intuitive game where I have a strong community and it appeals to 20 people. And those 20 people have a great time forming these tight-knit communities and playing it, but we don't need this kind of runway or this kind of application. So what they can do is go to Gitcoin and say, look, for every one FTM, just to simplify the math, for every one FTM that each individual wallet, and again, this is where the civil detection comes in, it's going to be quadratically funding, meaning that the funds are always um, disproportionately skewed towards the amount of individual contributors rather than to the total amount contributed. So if one project received one donation of 10 FTM, another project received 10, do uh, 10 donations of one FTM each, still 10 FTM, the project with the 10 donations would receive a much larger match from the foundation. Um, and we kind of viewed that as a way to allow the network and the ecosystem to, to almost like this Hayekian economics viewpoint of, of dictating from the bottom up what is most valuable. Like somebody at the foundation, for example, like myself, I might not know about a very niche application, DAP, that is building on top of another DAP to resolve for a specific, uh, particular use case or need of a long tail, but its users know much better than I do, right? And those users can go and by each matching the funding, 
for whatever reason they have uh, interest in that protocol succeeding, um, they have the, the foundation match it at a much higher rate than the foundation would ever even be able to because it wouldn't know about its existence, right? And that's that's kind of what I view as uh, aggregating the collective consciousness to make decisions that a small committee cannot. Wouldn't the approach that you've taken there be uh, uh, susceptible to civil attacks? Like why yeah, so, wouldn't a whale just create 10,000 and be like, yeah, I've got a great community. Look at them. So, so it is absolutely susceptible to civil attacks. And that's why it took so long because we had to work with several different uh, security firms, including ones in-house, ones that Gitcoin had and third-party partners to parse through this data. And we found that this, the amount of civil attacks and wallets that attempted to do it was actually very high. You know, if we hadn't done this, if we had just said, we're going to match it as it is, it would have been absolutely game. So um, that's something that uh, definitely needs to be worked on. I know that on Ethereum, for example, they already have uh, something called Passport, which is essentially a way of uh, like uh, a decentralized digital identity, obviously pros and cons to this kind of conversation. But, um, but uh, for the purposes of what they're using it for, they have a much higher um, likelihood of being able to assert in who's an individual with one wallet versus one individual with 100 wallets, right? For us, we had to do it uh, basically through simple detection mechanisms that were manually processed and data that was looked through by, by humans. Yeah, and that's very, very difficult to decentralize and have it be kind of a fully autonomous system that doesn't rely on the foundation. It, that's the biggest uh, hurdle and, and uh, you know, that's the, the main goal. So um, it's, it's how do we, at the end of the day, the goal of the foundation is to remove itself from the equation, right? Especially when it comes to funding and incentives. How do we fully remove ourselves from the picture so that we're not uh, economic decision makers as to how the revenue of the network gets distributed and the treasury, but rather how can we kind of hand that off to the actual end users uh, of the network to determine on, on our behalf, right? Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a very challenging problem. And I think it's a, a noble desire to, to share that treasury uh, with and have it be in community funds. I did just want to uh, shout out to a couple questions that we had here from chat. Well, first, uh, Chris is saying, you know, he's been impressed at your, your approach um, as far as the runway, as far as the use of funds. Um, I think we probably have a 100% failure rate for crypto projects that have bought stadium rights. So uh, not doing that is a good sign. Um, Prospect is asking uh, just about transactions. And, you know, Solana, obviously, there's a, a decent chunk of transactions in any, any block that actually fail. Uh, can transactions fail on Phantom? And, and what, what happens to those transactions if they do fail? So I'm not exactly sure um, how Solana works, but for Phantom, if a transaction were to fail because it's, uh, you know, deterministic and it's final, um, it would have to fail in that instant. There's no way that a transaction seems to go through and then fails later on, right? Uh, or gets overridden. So that's just from earlier in our conversation, maybe a prospector, you, you didn't have a, a chance to catch that, but uh, it is deterministic finality. So it can't be that a transaction has seemed to have gone through and then later on didn't. Would it fail? So if it makes it into the, the block, is it is successful? Or is there a chance that it's in the block and then it fails? No, as soon as a transaction is seen by the network, it's final. Oh, very nice. Very yeah, nice. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was... A, a it, it, could, it could fail for other reasons, right? Like as you're trying to submit it, like uh, gas, the gas isn't high enough or, or whatever it, it is, RPC problems, but that would be outside of the network the, the operational procedures of the network itself. Um, it. And Vanessa, I also shared um, a link and oh, you've already got it open. Um, <laughs> for those who might want to check it out, uh, Andre wrote this back in, uh, what was the date? December or something of 2022. Um, so since then, the runway has actually increased because, you know, a position, uh, a large chunk of its holdings were in uh, volatile assets, which obviously have 
increase in value. But um, yeah, the current estimate places it at uh, uh, 45 years. And so that sounds like an absurd number because it is. Um, but I think one of the most important things that, that you might look at is a lot of people are saying, you know, I've never heard of Phantom before. And like, um, that's, that's also because if you scroll down and, and you see kind of the approach that Phantom has taken, it's been very conservative in its marketing efforts. Like it's absolutely grassroots uh, position towards devs. All of the growth on Phantom is essentially uh, organic and word of mouth. It's not, you know, huge overheads for user acquisition, which then end up churning anyway, because they just came for some short sort of a short term, uh, high time preference incentives. Um, but also we just don't do things like pay for listings, pay influencers or anything like that, which of course in the short term may seem to not drive the kind of traffic and attention to the network as you might expect. But over the long term, we know that we have a you know fairly, fairly high retention rate in terms of both developers and users because nobody comes for something that's being offered to just be pulled, pulled right out yeah. from under them right after, you know? Yeah, 100%. Just as I'm kind of skimming through here, maybe we can touch a bit here. So this caught my, my eye. Um, a bunch of phantom to Alameda. Uh, mm -hmm. And so whenever I see Alameda these days, I'm like, uh-oh, uh, let's, let's talk about that because that could spell trouble in some sense. Uh, what's going on with Alameda? How's Phantom related to Alameda? So what's funny about that is, um, you know, as Andre outlined in that article, uh, Alameda did buy a big position, which it basically dumped right after, right? It didn't wait very long. <laughs> and at the time, everybody thought, you know, that spelled doom and gloom as, as people generally tend to do on crypto Twitter. But uh, it ended up being a blessing in disguise because when the whole... Uh, FTX Alameda debacle came around, we had no exposure to it whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's the the short story behind that. Uh, that's that's a good story. Sort of short-term pain, long-term uh, not pain. <laughs> Correct. Uh, you know, and that's something else about, about Phantom. Um, like the token distribution, there's a good Dune Analytics dashboard. It can still be improved. You know, there's a lot of tokens concentrated in uh, a small amount of wallets. Um, that's just the objective truth of it. But what we have going for us is that because there has been so little exposure to VCs comparatively to other blockchains, uh, the token distribution is much wider um, in comparison to some of these other more VC heavy, VC focused, um, VC owned blockchains, right? And and that's what I mean when I say Phantom is grassroots. Interesting. So let's let's go a little bit deeper on the um, centralization because another aspect of centralization, as you know, is the Nakamoto co coefficient. Um, which for mm -hmm. folks who aren't familiar is, is roughly the number of folks who need to collude uh, in order to either stop the chain uh, or to be able to double spend. And mm -hmm. it's depending on the kind of consensus mechanism, it's different for different chains. Um, but as far as I could tell for Phantom, the Nakamoto coefficient is roughly about four right now. Mm -hmm. um, and four is not a very big number. Um, and I can imagine, you know, uh, Gary and his friends at the SEC kind of knocking on four people's doors and then Phantom is gone. Well, you know, what's interesting is I think this this probably warrants its own technical article for those who are more interested in, in this type of thing. But because Phantom is technically a direct directed acyclic graph, a DAG, versus just a traditional blockchain, the actual individual number of validators isn't as important as it would be in another network. The top 66% matter. Um, so even if the number of validators was reduced to like a, a negligible number, the actual the, the equation for anybody who is interested enough as long as 2n plus 1 over 3 of the network are strong validators, the network is secure, right? So we could have 100 validators, like we could lower the requirements, and, and this is something that we're, we're debating internally, the requirements of the necessary stake for, for a validator to a negligible amount. And as long as the majority of people aren't staking to junk validators, 
the network would still be safe and the transactions would be processed. So the Nakamoto co coefficient in this instance, like I think it's something to consider, but it's not apples to apples comparison, right? Where if this was a blockchain where the Nakamoto coefficient was um, the only thing that we're looking at versus the kind of DAG approach, uh, it would be quite a different story. Yeah, so maybe maybe help me understand. So I'm familiar with uh, you know chains that that have kind of Nakamoto consensus where you're looking at a 51% style attack, as mm -hmm. well as BFG chains like uh, Cosmos where there's really two points of attack. There's the 33% of validators can collude to stop the network, and 66% can collude uh, to to double spend or you know get uh, faulty transactions through. Um, how how does DAG work? Does DAG have different levels like that, or is it just a single level, the 66% that you mentioned? So uh, Phantom's consensus is, is a synchronous Byzantine fault tolerance, ABFT versus P, uh, probabilistic uh, Byzantine fault tolerance. Um, but it's closer to the second than, than the Nakamoto coefficient that, than, that you asked about. To be honest with you, because I, I like to say things as they are rather than try to make something up that I don't understand, this, this gets way beyond my level of like what I can talk about. But what we can do here is it's a good question, right? Like, yeah. If, if we were to rephrase it, what is what exactly is it about Phantom that allows the number of validators to be higher or lower and that affect Nakamoto coefficient without it necessarily affecting the centralization or the security of the chain, right? Um, that question in and of itself, quoted like that, I think could make, like, there's tons of good articles from this, right? Because I don't know the exact answer to why, but what I can tell you is that, again, with that equation, as long as 2n plus 1 out of 3 of the network are strong validators, we can increase or reduce the amount of uh, stake required for a validator node without putting the, the network at jeopardy, right? Um, in other words, it's the top 66% of validators that are most important to the security of the network. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want to put you on the spot with technical stuff that, you know, if you're uh, not ready to speak about those things, I know not everyone is an engineer. I, I just have a kind of- I'm love definitely of not an engineer, but I can appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so none of this would work without engineers. So I think we're, we're all very grateful for them to be here. Um, uh, you know, one of the other things that people who kind of look into Phantom for the first time may see is that, you know, Andre Crenier, who's one of the, the founders, uh, left Phantom. And Anton Null as well, I think he was a senior engineer, also left Phantom. So it feels like, you know, a couple of senior folks leaving uh, that could have people look at it askance and say, hmm, is, is there a problem here? What's going on with those? So uh, Anton, as far as I'm concerned, no relation to, to Phantom. That was just with uh, Andre's work on some other DeFi projects. You know, Andre's was behind uh, Yearn, Keeper, and a few others. Uh, as far as uh, Andre's departure, you know, we're just being speaking about it candidly. I think that uh, it was just very poorly miscommunicated in terms of what was actually happen, happening. So what people thought happened is that he left forever and would never come back. What actually happened was Andre, I mean, I think that for anybody who is public facing crypto Twitter, uh, you could probably understand that it does, it can take a toll on your mental health. Um, and essentially what Andre decided to do was, I don't want to be exposed to, to the public for at least a little while. As you can see now, now he's back and he's posting and I'm on podcasts with him all the time. Um, but for a while, he was simply just working with the engineers at Phantom to build the blockchain uh, without necessarily being public facing. And uh, again, I think the communication of how that took place, especially at a very turbulent point in the market could have uh, could have used some work but uh, it is what it is and you know he never left phantom despite you know what people said or thought about it and uh, and, and now he's very much publicly as of you know about six months ago uh, publicly facing a, a phantom foundation co-founder and a participant so that's the story behind that
Okay, no, it's good. It's good to get some of the details. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all, uh, if you've been involved in the NFT scene, often, you know, people reach a high, mint out, and then, you know, just leave and kind of rug everyone. And so, you know, I think maybe that was a sentiment that was uh, incorrect. Uh, but, you know, you can understand why people in crypto would have maybe that approach. Well, I would also say that, um, you know, without going too deep into his own personal details, because the truth is I don't know them and, and I'm not going to ask, um, but this was also coinciding with Solidly, like probably everyone's familiar with Solidly, right? The, the FNFT DEX model. Um, and th there's tons of forks of it now. There's, you know, Camelot on Arbitrum, I believe they're, they're fork of it. There's Equalizer on Phantom, Velodrome on Optimism, uh, all of these different um, DEXs. And he essentially built this as a DeFi primitive that needed to be decentralized over time. It was decentralized too quickly. Therefore, I would say that it was not a success at the time of it, even though now it's by TVL, the, the largest um, the largest DeFi primitive to be forked. Um, and I think that's where a lot of these kind of confused opinions and, and outrage came from, uh, which yeah. hopefully, you know, now over time are being clarified. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's fair. And uh, we got a question from Accelerate Profits who's asking, what does the token distribution look like? Um, is there international adoption or is it concentrated in a particular area? Um, if you know the answers to those. Let me uh, share this in the private uh, chat and you can share it in the comments. This is a good dashboard of just phantom overview, which does have the distribution by uh, how it's distributed by wallets, how it's distributed by all that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to actual better graphics, that's a lot harder to tell because as you can imagine, uh, most of crypto is pseudonymous or we're not collecting any data on users that we don't need. Uh, like the, whatever we need for the applications to work is collected and everything else isn't. So things like location, age, those would have to be voluntarily contributed. And we've done some surveys uh, where people can voluntarily contribute that information, but the sample size isn't large enough to tell you with certainty where everyone's based, um, you know, what their ages are and, and that sort of thing. But what you can see in these uh, more data-driven analyses that Vanessa has on screen is the actual distribution of token tokens by wallets, how the how it's concentrated, uh, who has a position, et cetera. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I love that, uh, you know, as questions come up, you've got a link or uh, something for us to look at, an article or a graph. Um, I think that's, you know, important. There's so much, um, you know, things that get shared in, in crypto Twitter that, that aren't really necessarily true or backed. And so having that backing is important. I did, I did also want to touch uh, briefly on just the, the competitive nature of the space. So there's, mm. I, I don't want to say a dime a dozen uh, EVM compatible uh, layer one blockchains, uh, but how does, how does Phantom kind of uh, stand out in, in such a crowded space where everyone's offering something, right? There's some that'll have fast finality, some with cheap transactions, some with, you know, I know Polygon's got, you know, a business development team, it seems like they're just crazy effective at everything they do. Like, how does Phantom stand out in among the competition? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the, the first thing is just to kind of, you know, if you're going to build on Phantom, to be aware of what Phantom's vision is, right? So Phantom's vision, uh, for example, if we're looking at things like the Phantom Virtual Machine, which we covered, um, this is something that takes iterations over a long period of time. Uh, and for example, integrating something like the enterprise, going out and actively doing enterprise business development would mean that at some point, it's very likely we'd have to ask them to essentially rip and replace for our own technology. For anybody who sold to the enterprise, that is a very difficult thing to ask, right? So uh, at this point in time where Phantom views itself is it's all of its users are, if we're looking at this sort of like crossing the chasm graph, it's at the very, very far end of like early adopters and innovators who are using Phantom. 
Uh, it's word of mouth, it's grassroots. The virality that it gets is just from users telling other users and developers telling other developers to use it. Phantom does not have any plans on the horizon to actively do this sort of BD of like, yeah. you know, bringing on a big fast food restaurant to use it for like token rewards or whatever it is. Why? Because, you know, our thesis is that a lot of these things are smoke and mirrors where we we, we view a lot of the, the big Web3 companies or crypto companies to, to take over and come into the space to be native Web3 companies, just like the big companies of the internet era weren't analog companies that like, say like a newspaper company that then came in and started just, you know, posting their, their newspapers on HTML, right? Um, it was actually companies like Amazon and other companies that were internet native companies that came. So what we see is that a lot of these partnerships are, are much more about like hype and saying, oh, look at this really big brand that's using us. But then we see a lot of those brands after a couple of months, even if you look at like recently Facebook meta, they're just like, ah, we're done with this, with this hype stuff. Like we're done with NFTs. Goodbye. Um, because these, these are companies, right. Where I'm not, not to say that they're not internet native companies, but they're not web through native companies. And so it's like trying to ret retrofit something that already exists to something that's new rather than saying we want to position ourselves to onboard all of these web three crypto native companies to become giants on our shoulders. Um, and so that's kind of where we see ourselves going long-term and yeah, that means that we have maybe a lower amount of daily active users, but they're all organic users with high LTV for, for the devs that, that are servicing them versus, you know, the tons and tons of users that have all been acquired through paid marketing that are going to churn uh, and partnerships that are more about PR announcements than long-term sustainability. So uh, it is an absolutely different approach. It's not for everybody, but if that's a thesis you can get behind and think about things like the incentives programs uh, being around for the long haul because they're dependent on the revenue generated by the network rather than uh, some sort of kind of pool being distributed to people for using things, um, then, you know, then you're aligned with Phantom's vision. And in that case, you know, it could be a blockchain, good blockchain to build on. Yeah, it seems to, to also match very well with the idea that you have a you know 45 year runway, so you, you can have time to let the organic organic growth kind of foster within the system. Well, you know, you know the 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 other part is it's not to say if you build it they will come because that's not true. Like there's there's been great technology companies that just were so uh, far behind on the adoption curve that they eventually just couldn't compete with yeah. inferior technology companies that had better BD and marketing. Um, but what we also think is that treasury management is an integral part to the success of uh, any blockchain right now. And uh, a lot of the ones that, um, you know, are, are in hyper growth, so to speak, it's the same kind of hyper growth as we saw with software as a service companies where, you know, a lot of them have declared bankruptcy now and, and, and that sort of thing, because, you know, if, you, if your runway is 12 to 14 months, then you might as well just shorten it to eight and see if you can make it out. Whereas if you're, if you're if, you know, if your runway is, is uh, 45 years, then you can say, okay, let's let's wait and see if these uh, competitors are still solvent in 24 months, uh, and then mm -hmm. and then and then we can hit it hard and, and really put stuff to work. But you know, the the the, the idea is that a lot of these are just going to kind of end up, you know, um, what, what do you call it? Uh, you know, stepping on their own toes. So uh, that's kind of the the vision there in terms of when are we going to strike the iron? We're going to strike it when it's hot. And right now we're. I'm not going to say stealth mode, but it's as close to stealth mode as you could possibly get. So it's in that sense, kind of ironic that I'm the head of marketing um, and, uh, and, and we're in, in that sort of stealth mode, but that's where we're operating right now. <laughs> head of marketing for a stealth company. Yeah, uh, correct. Correct. <laughs> congratulations on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 uh, no paradox there, but yeah. So, you know, I'm curious, you know, as we've been talking, I brought up a couple of things where people might have some concerns about Phantom, but are there concerns that you commonly hear from the community or other people who are interested that maybe you'd like to talk through and, and address? Um, 
I mean, you know, the, the, it's the, the, the main, the main thing we always get is phantoms technology from anybody who's used it, right. Anybody who's actually used it, whether that's to build on or, or to use an application, it's always been the tech is a thousand times better. I like it a thousand times better, but why aren't you like, why aren't you partnering with a large coffee, like a fast food coffee company or whatever it is. And, and, and the, so the answer that people want to hear is, oh, we're going to do it soon. Don't worry. But the answer really is we're not going to do that at all. Um, so if you're not aligned with that, then this is probably not the, not the place to, to set up shop. Uh, if you are aligned with the idea of the sort of grassroots growth and, you know, word of mouth, organic um, marketing in the short, in the short term, and then medium to long term, kind of turn on the accelerator, then, then that might be the place for you. Uh, you know, that's, and, and just to, to kind of add to what I said, you know, the marketing team went from two to three people because we're a very lean team. That's the other thing. A lot of these teams were bloated and I know that you've worked at some big tech companies. So you know that sometimes some companies will hire just to show the VCs that there's headcount. Like yeah. you might be hired to not do anything at all just because you're part of a larger picture. Um, whereas for us, we've been extremely lean. Like our marketing business development teams are a 10th sometimes of the size of our competitors. Um, mm -hmm. However, a lot of those competitors have had to do things like layoffs, right? Why? Because they overhired too early just to show hyper growth. Um, whereas we took the opposite approach of we'd rather be almost too small and outsource where we need to and then gradually grow the yeah. team to, to, to that approach. And, you know, that being said, in 2023 alone, we've added like, you know, uh, eight to 10 members to the marketing and BD team. And so um, now now that everybody's shrinking, we're going the opposite approach and we're growing. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, you can do BD, you can do marketing in a way that's much more long term oriented without that meaning you just have to sit around, uh, you know, on your hands all day. So I just wanted to add that uh, disclaimer as well. Cool. Well, we're, uh, we, we're getting close to kind of the top of the hour, but I would love to hear where do people go? So we've had a conversation about Phantom. If someone was interested, like what are the wallets they should look at? What are some of the dApps they should uh, get involved in? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, a good place to start is, let me think about what the easiest place to start. Well, I would definitely recommend following uh, Phantom Foundation on Twitter. Um, that's where we share a lot of ecosystem news. There's also um, the Vertical Blocks Twitter, which is the Phantom Foundation's podcast where we have guests from across the ecosystem come and talk about what they're building. That's much more oriented towards developers and entrepreneurs, but anybody's welcome to listen. Um, and then, you know, we do have uh, the Phantom Wallet, F Wallet version two coming out very soon, which should be a lot friendlier and it'll abstract a lot of the complexities of how to use the ecosystem, bridge in and bridge out. Um, so that's something to keep your eyes peeled for. Uh, but I mean, between those two Twitter handles, you, you can just go down the rabbit hole and see all the different applications they're building on Phantom. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I'll add them to the description below. So if you've, you're watching later on, I just look at the description. You'll also have all the links that were shared uh, today. Uh, Juan, thank you so much for taking time for sharing a bit more about Phantom. I know this is a, a blockchain I wasn't as familiar with myself. So it's been a good learning experience for me. Thank you for having me on. And it was great to get your thoughts on governance as well. I'll let you know how that progresses. Yeah, of course. And to, to everyone who joined in chat, uh, thank you. Thank you for your questions and, and your comments. Uh, if you are watching along and, and enjoy videos like this, where we talk to, you know, founders and creators and builders in the ecosystem, uh, please like and subscribe. Uh, you know, I really enjoy these kind of conversations. We'll have them across many different chains. Um, so until uh, next time, see you all later, right. everyone. Thank you all.